How about a Friday to be with you, Mr. Big? And they call it one of the best changes, key changes in rock. Shove it up a major third key change out of the middle late, and then when you think it can't get any better, they drop it back down to the original key. Just amazing. I think, although there was a bit of controversy in the uh, in the good old uh, um, a staff room, whether or not it was a power ballad and whether or not it was a amazing song, Cindy. Uh, well, I mean, I've heard it before. I mean, who huh. is it? <laughs> Am I, I, I'm yeah, sorry, I'm very, a bit of an it's a fa- No, it's a fair point. No, I, okay, I, I, so I, who, who is it? It sort of it makes me think back to those concerts where everybody put their lighters <laughs> in the air and played backwards and forwards. You know? It's... Um, Dude, right. yeah, I don't know who it is, okay. and I wouldn't class it as famous, famous. Sorry. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, it's uh, 26 to 5, the panel. Um, before we get into our next guest, I have to just jump in and give you a little bit of a road cone feedback, because, my goodness me, that was uh, the topic uh, of the day, really. Road cones need to be safe for all including cyclists, often the whole cycle lane and road shoulder is unnecessarily taken up by cones and signs, which means the cyclists have to move into the car lane at greater personal risk. Um, Road cones, you just don't need them every half metre. Same job could be done with one-tenth as many. It's a rort. Said Petrus. Well, what, Fair point, isn't it, Simon? Well, why is that an issue? Uh, I mean, <laughs> who's doing the rotting? The cones are put out for safety. I think it's really, really wrong to say they're every half metre. It's very, very rare. Uh, but the people doing it are doing it for safety reasons, and if they're deciding this is the way in which it'll be safe, there are regulations, of course, about how closely they're meant to be spaced, depending on where they are. Uh, right. I don't see that that's a thing to complain about. Okay. In 2025 to 5. Nice to have your company. So uh, this is an interesting article. It was featured in RNZ this morning and says that the governance of Auckland is remote from and happens high above the heads of ratepayers and residents and says that Auckland was a better represented in Parliament in Wellington than in the council chamber in downtown Auckland and that an Auckland ward councillor is rarely heard or seen by residents between elections. So um, why Auckland's local election is neither local nor democratic, that was the uh, general theme. And we have two Auckland panellists with us this afternoon, so I thought I'd get Grant Duncan. He's an Associate Professor, School of People, Environment and Planning at Massey University. He wrote it. Grant, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Quite an interesting theme here. Explain to us how Aucklanders are better represented in Wellington than in Auckland, in your view? Well, it's just a matter of uh, arithmetic, really. Um, There are altogether 39, by my count anyway, MPs um, in Auckland. That's electorate MPs and list MPs. Uh, And um, there are 21 people on the governing body of the council. Now, that's a lower uh, number of representatives for Aucklanders around the council table. And when I say representation here... I'm linking it particularly to the power to tax and to pass bylaws. So those really are the critical powers of an actual political representative. You could throw in the uh, local boards if you want, but it still looks really bad there because the largest local board in terms of population is Howick, with a population of 141,000. That's a sizable city by New Zealand standards. They have nine members on the local board, but those members 
have only really a subordinate role within the council. They don't really have any direct uh, role. So in terms of actual representation, um, the you know just looking at Howick alone, that's, that's just a city on its own. It doesn't have actual representation. So, so basically, you mentioned that not only has the unification of Auckland thinned out representation and put up barriers to participation across the Motu, we've seen central government overruling local government in matters like public health, urban development and water use? Yes, well you talk to people in Auckland and a lot of them are really quite upset to see the government now coming and over the top of the unitary plan that uh, they and the council have worked upon. And so um, this is a system that is increasingly centralised, it's not transparent. And just because you have an election doesn't mean you have a democracy because uh, elections aren't aren't the be-all and end-all of democracies and and, uh, there are democratic processes other than elections that are also quite important. And the system that we have in Auckland makes it virtually impossible for neighbourhoods to have direct relationships and communication with the people who actually represent them. Very interesting. I know, Simon, you're chomping at the bit to talk about this. I mean, wow, what a statement here. Uh, that, that is neither local nor democratic. But let's go to Cindy first, also based out in Karaka there. Yes. Uh, hi, Grant. Look, hi. I am just wondering uh, about the boundaries. Obviously, the way the boundaries for the parliamentary votes and the boundaries... Uh, 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 allocation for your council votes are all different. It, it, it is not um, that one vote is, is worth the same. Is, is it the way we are dividing the population up arbitrarily the way we do? Oh, yeah, you're right. The boundaries for the two uh, sets of elections are quite different, of course, but um, it's really just about sheer numbers. And it's a problem across the board too. It, it, there's a similar problem uh, with central government in the sense that the numbers of people per representative are increasing both at national and at local level, but the way that the system has been designed in Auckland and with the unification, which had the main intention of dealing with the infrastructure deficit, uh, has created a, uh, a kind of uh, representation which is uh, really uh, thinned out quite dramatically, and it means effectively that uh, your vote in Auckland, if you're an Aucklander, is worth much less and has much less power than a vote in other parts of New Zealand. So Grant, do you have any sort of solution or uh, my favourite, and so therefore we should? I mean, given that what you've said is very factual and very interesting, um, the difficult thing is this, Cindy, that um, if we really were serious about addressing this problem, we would have uh, more councillors. Uh, and when you propose New Zealanders, let's have more elected representatives, mm, exactly. you tend to get a very cynical reaction. So, But unfortunately, that is what it takes. And there's a similar uh, issue really with the parliament too, because... We had uh, obviously a parliament of 120 created in 1996, but the population of New Zealand has increased significantly since then. So even at that level, the representation ratio is rising. But the ironical thing, as I say, is that for Aucklanders, your representational ratio is much bigger 
at local government level than it is at national oh, level. I see. Okay, someone says here, as an Auckland councillor, I spend many hours in my local community. It's a necessity to stay connected with my Waitakere community and understand their views and see uh, what's going on, is uh, this councillor's point of view here, Simon? Well, I was going to say, when you said an Auckland councillor, I was thinking, who might that be? And my answer would be, Almost all of them would be able to say that because they do spend a lot of time. And I know going around Auckland, when you go to a, a, big, a, a public fair or you go to a public meeting about this or that, the, the chances are the local councillors will be there, um, which doesn't mean that they become universally known, uh, but they are. They certainly put in the work on the ground. Not, not every one of them, but certainly most of them. Mm. Um, I, I wonder, Grant, whether there is a, a, a related problem here that kind of overlaps, that... Um, it is. You're absolutely right that we have. We don't have enough representation uh, for for people to be heard easily. Uh, but at the same time, what's happening now is that with the super city, we have that infrastructure deficit you mentioned being addressed, and not everybody likes the way it's being addressed. Uh, but it needs to be addressed. Uh, so the, some of the complaints are from a lot of the complaints. I think are from people saying uh, we didn't want that. Uh, extra public transport. We didn't want that bus priority lane. We didn't want that cycleway. We didn't want. Uh, we didn't want more safety features around the streets and mm. so on. Um, and actually, they're not necessarily the majority at all. They're always going to complain about those things. But the things are happening now. Um, so there's a real tension there, not because there's no democracy in place, but because uh, the democracy is in place to a degree, but um, they're not in. They're, they're not not having their point of view uh, accepted. How do, you, how do you respond to that, Grant? Oh, look, I agree with Simon, uh, really, because I, I mean, this isn't sort of a one-sided thing, because I fully understand that the purpose of the unification was to address the infrastructure deficit, and there are many ways in which that is being done, and I fully understand that. Um, we have to sort of uh, square the circle here and see things from two different points of view at once, because whilst that that stuff is going on, and I'm sure it's true too that um, councils do attend local meetings and so forth. But the point is that uh, we have to find some way of redressing the democratic deficit now. And I was at a, uh, a meeting, I was giving a talk in Takapu in the library just recently, and what I found is that people really responded uh, positively or, or concernedly, should I say, uh, to this issue because these are people who are concerned about what's going on in their neighbourhood and they sense and they feel the, the decline in democracy uh, in, in the local government and people were um, nodding their heads a lot. So these were people with experience who dealt with issues in their local neighbourhoods for many years and they sensed the I guess, the greater remoteness of and the lack of trust uh, within the system. Grant, I've got some more good news for you. I'm, I'm going to a session tomorrow organised by uh, COI2, which is a research unit at the university, and at, and by Watercare. Watercare has been, over several weeks now, has been running a project with 100 randomly chosen Aucklanders to have a what's, what they're calling a participatory democracy panel. They've been putting those 100 Aucklanders right. through a process of having them learn about water care issues so they can make some informed decisions, we think this should happen. Now, obviously, they're not the whole population, uh, but that participatory democracy approach, uh, in my view, I think, is something that needs we need to be seeing more of. I don't know, Final do thoughts, Grant, we'll move on. Oh, look, I, I agree with that. I, I guess we don't have a lot of time, but I can also point to some uh, rather poor processes as well. But um, 
Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. Very good. Thank you very much. That's uh, Grant right. Duncan there from uh, Massey University, Associate Professor in uh, Politics. Uh, there, uh, Your thoughts on that are most welcome. It's 15 to 5, the panel, RNZ National. Lovely to be with you today. Well, with the death of Queen Elizabeth II uh, comes a huge overhaul in the imagery scene, not only in England, but across the Commonwealth. The first thing that springs to mind, of course, is money. Every coin and $20 note in Aotearoa bears the Queen's image, so naturally you'd assume King Charles' image would soon take her place. However, one university student has launched a petition to remove the monarchs from our currency Altogether, it's called "Make Our Money Reflect Aotearoa," and it reflects that this is an opportunity to acknowledge and recognise the hard work of the people in our country's history that paved the way for us to be where we are today. And the person who launched it is Timatahiapo Safari Hines. Uh, kia ora, welcome to the panel. Kia ora, kia ora. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you on. So, tell me a little bit more about why you launched this petition? Mm. Um, I launched this petition because I believe we have an opportunity, like you've already said. Um, I was aware of the fact that due to Queen Elizabeth's death, as you've said, King Charles will eventually come onto our money, or that that is what is expected. And I believe that we have an opportunity to intercept that process of design um, because the Reserve Bank has already signalled um, that it's not going to be happening for at least a couple of years, um, that we have an opportunity to intercept uh, King Charles being put onto our money and instead start to have a national conversation about what are the things and who are the people that we believe reflect us and represent us as a country and put it on our money. And the other thing is, I think when we have these conversations about where we're heading as a country and what our future is, we often talk about uh, two extremes, which is either the status quo or becoming a Republican and moving the head of state. And I think this kaupapa or this idea is something that is in the middle, so it's not sticking to the status quo, yeah. but it is something right. that if, we beca- if we're becoming a republic eventually, then it's something we're going to have to do anyway. So it's a little something that we can do now and tick it off and then move on to the next thing. Uh, a bit of response here, uh, Timothy Apple. Uh, one says, uh, "This is an excellent idea." Another one, guys, goes, "We want royalty on our money." Um, uh, we have a panel with us, Cindy. Well, I mean, he's not, or she, Elizabeth, is not on our ten-dollar note. It's uh, is she? She's not on our five-dollar note either. So, uh, you're talking got? about coins. I've got a five-buck. I've got Edmund Hillary here. Yeah, yep. I've got Edmund Hillary and a penguin. Yep. On the other side, and <laughs> I think yeah, that um, money. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, so that's the point. Are you talking about our coins, or are you talking about paper money as well? Because they're actually uh, being phased out anyway. I mean, are they how many on the notes, but not the coins? Yeah. Well, All yeah. right, respond how? to Timothy Hiapo. Yeah, um, oh, I completely get what you mean. And that's my point is we've already gone there with all of the other notes, right? And recognising all of these other New Zealanders that have done amazing things for us. So why don't we go there with just another person? Um, and yeah. 
Simon. Look, I, I, I agree very much with Mate Alpo. I think he, yeah, he, he's quite right about this. We need to be just quietly phasing culturally out of this. And, and I have a related question. I discovered the other day that Queen Elizabeth was Queen Elizabeth I of Scotland because she had never, they had not ever recognised the first Queen Elizabeth. Now, and I just want to know why Charles is Charles III of New Zealand. We are, yeah, and why right. Queen Elizabeth was Queen Elizabeth II of New Zealand. We're very proud of them being the monarch of this country. Why are they? Why do we assume that we have all that entire heritage behind us, where actually that isn't mm. the case? Uh, and I'm also thinking, Timothy uh, Hapo, uh, some of the uh, some of the names. Who can I just think of off the top of my head? Someone like, say, uh, Dame Tiata, Dame Tiata Rangikahu, as one example. Do you have an idea of um, some of the some of the peoples you might like to see on uh, some of our coins and notes? Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I would like a woman and I, I would like a Māori woman because she's uh, a Māori woman is someone who's not yet represented on our money. We have a male uh, Pākehā, we have um, Māori male, we have Kate Shepherd, and then I would like us to replace Elizabeth with a Māori woman, someone like Finna Cooper, who is considered Te Whaio Te Motu or the mother of the nation, or someone like Eva Rickard, or any other sort of wahine uh, Māori. I, th- I think Māori dum collectively would come up with quite a few names. Someone said, don't be yeah. right here. Yeah. Does it have to be instead of? You know, I mean, why not, does it have to be instead of? Why not as well as? You know, there are a range of, as we know, we've talked about different people on different bits of money. You can have King Charles III on, you know, the $100 bill and other people on, on other bills. Um, uh, if it's an exercise I, in phasing out, then... Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> what we're looking at is taking the monarchy off of our money, right? That's, that's part of it. And then it's the replacing of the the, uh, the place that the monarchy had on our money with, in the, in the case of the $20 note, a person. And then in the case of all of our coins, it's stuff like harakiki or it's the Korfi Blossom, which I believe was actually on uh, a previous iteration of our coins at one point in time. Right. Um, hey, yeah. Hey, kia ora. It's very nice to have you on the program, and uh, all the best uh, with the petition. Uh, Timatahi Apo, Safari Hines, there uh, with the petition. It's called "Make Our Money Reflect Our Tiaroa." A few, uh, yeah, a few uh, suggestions coming through. Quite a few saying Dame Fina Cooper. Uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. Thank you. And uh, why do I have cash? Look, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I just seem to. Both Cindy and I, obviously, you've got, you've just got, you've got your card. People ask me all the time, you've got a little bit of money on you, and yeah, I always say no, but actually, yeah. people ask you for it, so that's why they have it. <laughs> now, despite all their struggles this year, the All Blacks have the chance to collect a second trophy for 2022 when they host Australia uh, in Auckland tomorrow night. It was an extraordinary and controversial win last week's dramatic first Bledisloe Cup in Melbourne test with the referee's decision to penalise the Wallabies for a delay. Wallabies prop Alan Alalatour said they were not only motivated by last week's result but the chance to end a losing streak at Eden Park stretching back to 1986. With us is RNZ's reporter Clay Wilson. Kia ora, Clay. Kia ora, Wallace. The All Blacks look at Eden Park as their fortress, said uh, Alan Alalatour. Um, it'll be a big deal, no doubt, if that fortress were to be lost. Well, especially in light of everything else that's happened yeah. this year, that would just be. A, I mean, they have won the Bledisloe Cup again, and they and they could. Uh, well, they've got a chance to win a second trophy, as you said. But uh, if they 
they rel- if they relinquish that uh, that winning streak at Eden Park and the same one against the Wallabies, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be a great note to finish this chapter of the year on. I'm obviously still the end of year tour to come, but uh, there's going to be a couple of months break and there'll be a few rocks under the pillows if, uh, if they were to, <laughs> to lose to Australia tomorrow night. Imagine. You going, Simon? No, I think the... Uh, <laughs> I suppose the thing that worries me a little bit is not whether they'll lose. I'm completely sanguine about that. Um, it is that you want the winning team to win on their own merits. You, you don't want the winning team to win because the referees decided to do something that's hard for half the people on the field to understand. Um, and... Um, you know, it would have been the other half if he'd called it the other way. Ah, uh, what's yeah. your thoughts on uh, that, Clay? Because um, I do, I do know that he's coming back, but he's going to be uh, this uh, this referee who I can't recall the name of right now. He's going to be an Raynard. assistant. Yeah, right now he's going to be an assistant assistant coach. Yeah, he might, a... might be getting a hero's welcome at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> because we so love the French and their rugby, right? Well, he, he might get his own trophy after the game on Saturday night. <laughs> So, Clay, yeah, who, Clay who's the ref? Clay, who's the ref tomorrow night? Uh, it's an Irish man by the name of Andrew Brace, which I don't know too much about him, but he's obviously another Northern Hemisphere official. Which uh, it seems to be where some of the issues crop up uh, is with these Northern Hemisphere officials that we're not perhaps as used to down here in the way they referee the game. So. Other than that, I can't tell you too much about him, but uh, yeah. you know, it seems to be seems to be a lot of officiating issues cropping up in the in the last so couple of Re- months. But so Renard will be a, Renard. a, a what they call them a, a linesman or a, what yeah. do they call a line judge? Assistant referee is the uh, terminology these days, but yes, a touch judge. So he's an assistant us. referee. Yes. So he'll be wanting the. All, I've got this theory that he will be wanting <laughs> the All Blacks to win. <laughs> To validate his decision last week. Yeah, I, you don't I think you want to square it up. <laughs> well, hey. he'll be sweat. I mean, imagine if the Wallabies thrash us. He'll be sweating. He wants he wants us to win by a long way because he knew we were the better team last week. Yeah. But, hey, now Clay, I just got to bring this in because uh, it was it was actually quite fascinating. We had the uh, we had uh, last week David Campisi, you know, the Australian rugby great, uh, mm-hmm. on the panel. He said, "Look, rugby's." dying sport due to the style of rugby we're playing, not entertaining penalty ridden and um, this is what he said about what he thought of the All Blacks I don't know, they're just, they're just not the same You know, I'm just used to them You know, you had 31-13 up last night and you basically sat there and the Wallabies came back wow. in the old days, you would have made it 60 points mm. You know, it's just that killer instinct seems to not be there like anymore What do you reckon Clay? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you don't have to look too closely to figure out they're not they're not the all dominant team they were for so long before the last couple of years. But um, you know, I think there's still signs there that they are they are still capable of it. It's just uh, obviously a it is it is a different team. They have lost a, a lot of players, and um, you know, I guess you know the debate about the coaching situation. You can bring that into it as well, but. Um, yeah, they're certainly not the team they were, and, and yeah. I don't know if we could have expected them to carry on in that vein, really. But yeah, but Clay, on, Clay, don't you think Clay. it's? Oh, Cindy first, then Simon. Sure. Okay, so Clay, here's the thing: in the macro environment, could it not just possibly be that everyone else has got better? It's not that we're not as great as we were it's the differential in northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere and i know this because my husband tells me um (laughs) and the others have caught up 
Oh, I think it's definitely an element of that. I think what's happened in the past is that the others have caught up and we've very quickly gone back ahead again, whereas this time they've caught up and yeah, we, some of them have yeah, gone, we, perhaps even gone past us and we just haven't really uh, perhaps developed yeah. or improved much in the last couple of years. Um, so that's, that's probably, I think, a fair, a fair way to look at it. And, and, and maybe, Clay, we all need to kind of grow up a little about this. It is, we have, what is it, six or eight teams in the world that could win the World Cup next year, seriously have a chance of doing that. That is a terribly exciting thing for rugby, even though Campisi thinks it's dying. Yeah, if you've got that many teams seriously he was, in contention. He was saying contention. P- penalties. Um, penalties gone up, what is it, 300% of the last 20 years. He says it's strangling the game. So that's a different issue, isn't yeah. it? That's the issue of teams playing for the penalty, kick to the side. Yeah. Play for the penalty, kick to the side, and then go and through, and, and and that's that's a terrible strategy. And it would be lovely to think they could slay that one out. And that's where and that's where this this decision made at the end of last week's game has actually been sort of moved forward a bit by by the All Blacks and Ian Foster saying, you know, that's how we want the game to be played. We want to play faster. We want less stoppages, yeah. less penalties. Yeah. They want to play the game true, like true. that. So so you can see them advocating for that. And and yeah, that's why. Good they, on they, you, they, Clay. Always lovely to have you on the program. And Simon Wilson, Cindy Michener, wonderful stuff this Thank afternoon. You, Thank you very much. All of you Thank have you. a great, great long weekend. Mm. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you Tuesday, three forty-five. Checkpoint is next. <laughs>